2: My friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is HemPresent. If you have feedback, or would like to suggest a guest or topic for HemPresent, email me at hempersent at gmail.com. I greatly enjoy hearing from you, the listener. Perfect's co founder and chief product mo- officer, Michael Backus is well-known for writing the book Cannabis Pharmacy, where he details the medical effects of a wide variety of strains. Long time considered the cannabis pharmacist, Michael founded and ran the first evidence-based medical dispensary in the United States, which often served the Hollywood elite with his sought-after premium fresh products and customized effects. Michael developed infused flour to deliver that same experience to consumers who are seeking the very best. And i am invited Michael to join me today so we can learn more. Welcome, Michael, to Cannabis Radio. Hey, thanks a lot,
0: Vivian.
2: My pleasure. So so now, you're not actually a pharmacist, but you've been long referred to as the cannabis pharmacist. Could you just tell us a little bit about your history and how you gathered your knowledge about the plant?
3: Well, I've actually never heard anybody refer to me as the cannabis pharmacist. (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, No, I'm not a pharmacist. Um, uh, How did I get into this and and why I'm in it? Um, I'm just fascinated by the science of how cannabis works. And... I think the, um, that what we've learned and what scientists have learned about the plant um, can translate to the consumer experience. I think it allows science allows you to grow better cannabis um, and consume cannabis in a way that um, uh, gets you closer to the effects that, that you're seeking. So that's why I'm into it. And it's why I stay in
2: it. Okay. Okay. Uh, j- just for the record, I, I didn't make up that uh cannabis pharmacist stuff. I, I read that, but it's all good. Um, you, you ran the first evidence-based medical dispensary in the United States. Tell us a little bit about your dispensary and how was it evidence-based? What made your dispensary different from the rest?
3: Yeah, so the the, the dispensary is called Cornerstone. It's in Eagle Rock, California. Actually, on uh, on Sunday night, it, it won the Emerald Cup for best dispensary in Southern California. Congratulations. So it's been great. Um, I haven't worked with them for over a decade, but they're obviously continuing their good works. And I'm very pleased with that. What, what was different about Cornerstone is we really were trying to figure out how the products work um, as best we could. Um, this is before the advent of, of common lab testing. And so it was, it was really reading all the research we could and trying to figure out how that research might apply to the products that we provided at Cornerstone. And uh, it was a real challenge and, and the game really changed for us when we first got access to terpene testing, uh, initially through a, a lab in Pasadena run by Jeff Raber called The Workshop. And um, that was kind of late in my tenure with, with Cornerstone, but it really opened my eyes and Um, When I left Cornerstone, I got involved with uh, a group that was breeding cannabis. And the first thing we did was set up up a lab to test everything we were growing. And uh, during my term with that group, um, I got a really, really deep dive into um, terpene and uh, cannabinoid content in cannabis. And it really kind of set me on the path I'm on today.
2: So you're kind of trailblazing in what's kind of considered the wild west of medical cannabis back then, right?
3: Well, well, to to borrow a line from George Lucas, he told me when I was in the movie business that the first person up the hill catches all the arrows.
2: And so, yeah, (laughs)
3: yeah. The the thing about pioneering this thing is you're going to catch a lot of arrows. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, Um, but, but hopefully I
2: learned from them. So. So how do terpenes and monoterpenes work together to create, Distinct effects, and and what is the entourage effect? Well, the entourage
3: effect was a, the the idea that was invented by Raphael Meshulam, the guy who first um, uh, elucidated the structure of the THC molecule, an Israeli scientist, and um, and he were he used entourage to describe the effects of other cannabinoids on THC, like CBD, for example, um, and then. Uh, people like um, Dr. Ethan Russo extended that idea to the essential oils produced by the cannabis plant. And most of those are terpenes. They're, um, they're essential oil molecules, very aromatic. The monoterpenes are the lightest ones. And um, they include things like myrcene and uh, lemonene and a, a lot of these um, terpenes that people have heard of now. And then some of the heavier terpenes like beta caryophyllene So, um, Our understanding of how these molecules interact with THC is definitely a work in progress. Um, We know that a lot of the monoterpenes on their own have pharmacological activity. um, But we haven't completely figured out at the doses that that most cannabis consumers would be exposed to, um, how they're actually kind of pulling the switches and levers of... um, our receptor systems in our brain and throughout our body. Uh, We have a good idea that lemonene is mood elevating. We have a good idea that linalool, uh, a terpene alcohol that's also produced by lavender, um, how it tends to be sedating. Um, But there's a lot of misinformation out there about terpenes. And I think often terpene impacts are slightly overstated. So when it came to designing products for my company perfect, um, I really took a very conservative approach. I wasn't trying to just copy nature. What I was trying to do is find cannabis cultivars that produced a lot of the terpenes that I was interested in and then combine those few terpenes together um, in the form of uh, sauces that we extract from the plants um, and then applying them to um, dried flour to try to emphasize some of the terpene effects that we thought were very real.
2: Um, Michael, I think 11 states have legalized the recreational use of marijuana, cannabis, and I think 30, 35 states have implemented medical marijuana programs for patients. Many of these states have implemented cannabis retail stores, but those people patronizing cannabis shops might not find reliable consistency and potency uh, in potency and purity. How much of a problem is that? And do you think it's changing?
3: Well, I think it's a big problem. I think it's a big problem because I think what, what people don't realize is how fast, you know, if, if you find good quality flour at a dispensary,
0: um,
3: <clears throat> it might be difficult to find it again because there's crop to crop variation, but a bigger problem is a lot of products sit on the shelf for a long time at the mm-hmm. distributor before they get to the dispensary. And, you know, Cannabis is basically like produce. I mean, it, it does change it all the time. Yeah. So one of the things I tried to do with Perfect was I tried to, uh, by using cannabis extracts um, and applying those to chopped dried flour to kind of try to get the terpene content back up to where it was when the plant was harvested. And because a lot of people, you know, have never been in a, in a drying room next to a cannabis cultivation to, to see what properly cured flour when it's at peak ripeness actually tastes like. And that's what we try to do with perfect. We try to give you the experience of uh, that the, the cultivator has when they pull a bud out of out of their, their curing shed and take it in and roll a joint in it and smoke it. It's, it's rich with terpenes. It's rich with a lot of the lighter molecules that are lost when the when it, you know the plant just sits on the shelf someplace.
2: How how much of the smell and taste is determined by the terpenes?
3: All of it, for the most part. Interesting. Yeah, cannabinoids have no taste. I mean, there are other compounds that are produced by the cannabis plant um, esters that are responsible for some of the fruity fruity notes associated with certain cannabis strains. But um, but really, um, yeah, when it comes to uh, aroma. And flavor, um, terpenes kind of drive the show.
2: I, I want to dive deeper into your company, Perfect, uh, after this first break that's coming up. But but before we do that, what should the cannabis consumer be looking for when shopping for a quality product? Everything seems to be primarily geared for high THC content, but that might not be the best indication of quality of quality product. Is that correct?
3: Uh, it's really not. As a matter of fact, at the Emerald Cup this last weekend in the whole history of the 18 years of the Emerald Cup the highest thc variety has never won huh and and that's interesting
2: why do you think it is that at least in my areas most of the stores there everybody's trying to everybody's really kind of focused on high thc content that seems to be the primary driver uh and, and even some people i know as customers that's what they're looking for why do you think that is
3: well, I mean, because it's what they, it, it's easy. It's not hard. It's an easy thing to do. I mean, it'd be like if you walk into a liquor store and I you want the judge, highest alcohol but, content, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, nobody walks in and goes, so yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Everclear must be the best product you carry because it's the strongest. So it's, it's simply ignorance. That's all. And you know, for years, well, for, for many years, um, since let's say since the 19 early 1970s, um, you know, THC content was the one thing that that people who were breeding cannabis could, because they didn't have access to labs, could could judge. They would judge. This is the strongest thing. Oh, right, okay, right I'm from the high that next year. And what happened was is that it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. And really, the problem is is that the varieties that produce the most THC are these, there's a class of cannabis varieties called um, dessert class, uh, caryophylline and lemonine. and um, Um, So that's what's flooding the market right now, because those plants produce the most THC. And so that's what gets pushed in the marketplace as being the best flower, when in fact it's not.
2: I started started smoking cannabis regularly around 1972, 73, and cannabis used to really relax me. And I find that some of the weed I buy in rec stores these days gives me anxiety.
3: Right, because a lot of that is driven by the combination of THC and Caryophyllene together. That can, if I want to, if I want if I want to make a blend that would make you miserable, <laughs> I would probably, <laughs> I'd probably have no CBD and it have as much THC as I could, and and then I'd have a um, Caryophyllene, and I guarantee you, you're not, most people aren't going to have a great time.
2: Fascinating. I'm talking to Michael Backus from the company Perfect. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our second segment, so don't go anywhere.
0: Time to roll out for the people that let us Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
2: We're back on Hemp Present with Michael Backus. Michael, you are the co-founder and the chief product officer for the cannabis company Perfect. Can you tell us about Perfect's inception mission and a little bit more about your product line?
3: Sure. Uh, uh, Perfect came about when um, Dean Hollander, um, Perfect's CEO, Um, got in touch with me, I think it was on LinkedIn, and said, you want to have coffee? I've got an idea for a company. And it worked out that I did have time, and we did sit down. And he had this idea to do um, cannabis blends. And I thought that was really, really an interesting idea uh, because, you know, I started using cannabis in the very early 70s as well. And I used to make blends all the time. I used to love to blend like, you know, mishwakan from mexico with pie stick um because they really produce different highs one was a uh one variety was more myrcene dominant the stuff from mexico and the stuff from um, thailand was trepindling dominant very different cannabis profiles. and um so yeah so i blend my own things and when dean approached me about blending i said oh this has a lot of potential and dean shows up with three ideas for blends happy camper pick-me-up and nightcap and doesn't really know how or if they could be made um just kind of posted as a challenge to me and um so i i jumped on board and found out very quickly how hard it is to blend cannabis well um you know, it's one thing to make a salad joint. It's another thing to, like, make something that makes the majority of the people who try it say, wow, that's like, that's, I feel like a happy camper.
2: And Perfect that, uses, what, three to four strains in each blend, right?
3: Yeah. So what I do is I go out, I, I go to our cultivators, and I, I select terpene classes of, of these plants that they're growing. So in the case of, of Happy Camper, I'll get a lemonine. You know, dominant variety, sometimes several, um, because there is crop-to-crop variation, and I want to try to make things that are very much the same every single time so that there's not that variation so somebody can trust when they buy Happy Camper this time. It's like Happy Camper last time. But the challenge there is that's a very hard thing to do. So what I have to do is I have to choose these plants. I dry half the crop that I buy. I extract the other half. Um the extract is a is a, uh, is used to create this high terpene extract that I'll blend together. Um, but I also grow the, the THC in that extract and extract that. So what I end up with is I end up with dried chopped flour, these high terpene sauces from the cannabis, and THCA from the cannabis. And then I put them all back together to, to make the spec for happy camper or pick me up nightcap, um, to drive the effect based on the terpene entourage in each individual product.
2: Michael Perfect's process infuses flour with formulated live resin sauces. What are live resin sauces, and what's the difference between resin and live resin?
3: Well, resin is just what's produced by the plant. So uh, if if I take a cannabis plant in the field and I go up and rub the flowering tops with my hands, I'm going to end up with sticky resin on my hands. All right. Matter of fact, that's how they used to make hash in Nepal. Yeah. Right. Um, Run naked through me. the fields. Right. Yeah. Um, which is why you know Nepali resin has that nice taste of human sweat. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, so live resin is a process where basically you're freezing the crop um, while it's you know absolutely fresh. You chop it and freeze it immediately, um, like any fresh frozen vegetable. And then you extract that fresh frozen material. And what you get is you get the terpene profile and the cannabinoid profile that's closer to what the plant produces when it's alive, hence live resin. And um, as opposed to dried, where you start to lose stuff like this.
2: So how long, say, say you, you get some, some cannabis that's been reasonably uh, recently harvested, and you stick it in a mason jar, how long does it take the cannabis to degrade and and what does it change into?
3: Well, the THC actually changes pretty slowly. I mean, yeah, a a THC in the presence of oxygen um, will uh, convert to CBN, another cannabinoid, over time. Um, The THCA, which is actually the form of THC that's found on the living plant, Will slowly decarboxylate um, to THC, but that's that's a pretty leisurely process. Now, what isn't leisurely is how fast terpenes can degrade. Um, terpenes can really start to degrade in less than 30 days, uh, considerably. That's why it's interesting because a lot of people who try our products for the first time they go, "Wow, this feels a little different," and it's not because we've we've you know jacked the terpene content. It's just that we've restored the terpene content to what the living plant has, And most people have never experienced that. Most people are pretty far away from cultivation if they use cannabis. Now, people who grow their own, they're the people who go, oh yeah, I know what this tastes like. This tastes like my stuff at its best. And um, that's what we wanna honor. We wanna honor what the the plant's capable of producing. And so what perfect is about is taking really, really well-cultivated inputs and combining them to make consistent cannabis experiences. And it, it's a
2: joy to do, to tell you the truth. Are your products available to customers outside of California?
3: Uh, not yet, but it looks like we're, we're we're coming soon to a legal state near you. We've decided that it's really important to get out there. So very likely we'll be seen on the East Coast and the Midwest this year.
2: Oh, that's great. Great. Looking forward to it. Um, I, I'm up here in Seattle. It'd be great to be able to access your stuff.
3: You I, know, love, I love, I love Washington. So yeah, I'd, uh, I'd love to be in Washington.
2: Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you. Um, you know, you mentioned tie stick and, and, you know, I, I mentioned that I started getting high in the seventies. In the I'm from California actually. And, you know, I lived in uh, LA and, and for a long time in Lake Tahoe. Um, and and you know the old tie stick and the stickless tie and and Oaxacan, Maui Wowie I mean all those classic old strains Panama Red that used to come through uh, and the brown and gold Colombian and stuff all was very distinct um, and around 1976 I think we started seeing Cinsamia coming from Northern California um, and and for years for decades really a lot of the weed was really sticky, gooey, even, you know, you take a nug and you press it on the wall and it would stick there for about 10 minutes before it would fall off. Um, and a lot of the weed was so pungent that if you had a bag in your pocket, and you got on a, on an elevator or something, you know, everybody could smell it. It's still like a, a dead skunk. And now a lot of the weed that I get, at least in the retail stores are kind of hard brown nugs that nothing has that smell anymore. What's going on?
3: Basically, I mean, you know, uh, in, in the can, especially you know,
2: has it been breeding? Have these, these those things been bred out, or
3: no? It's just handled too much. It's sitting around too long. It's huh. just it's been too warm for too long. Um, people don't treat cannabis like produce, which mm-hmm. it is. I mm-hmm. mean, if they taught, if they tra- if they treated cannabis like it, it was flowers, then it would last a lot longer. I mean, right. you don't see people just
2: like keeping in them. a humidor or something, right? Not even a humidor. Just keep it cool.
3: I mean, that's uh-huh. the big thing. Is it's like you know, it's like cabbage. You know, uh-huh. put a ca- put a cabbage on your desk and leave it there for two months. It's not going to be very. What, what, pleasant. what
2: about things like I've heard? I've heard people mention hardeners that people are using something to
3: yeah I don't I don't think they're buds? yeah I mean. It's Coming so out. tough right now to use a lot of chemicals on your cannabis in California mm-hmm. uh, because the the testing requirements are pretty stiff and they're looking for a lot of stuff. A lot of those hardeners are often plant growth regulators mm-hmm. um, to, t- to tighten things up and make them more burly. And um, honestly, I mean, the problem is they're just that stuff has a tendency, I think, to um, move resources within the plant. And so what, instead of ending up with sticky, smelly stuff, you end up with bulky, heavy stuff you can sell for more money.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: And so I think that th- that's part of it. Part of it is the fact that, that the commercial pressure on the people who are cultivating basically put their focus more on the weight that their plants were producing often than the quality of aroma, um, taste, and effect. And again, th- you know, Perfect's all about aroma, taste, and effect.
2: That's kind of the modern version of putting a couple small stones in your ounce bag before you sell it, right? Yeah, the stones probably taste better. That's right, yes. Than
3: some of the crap that's put on plants.
2: Yeah, isn't that the truth? All right, I am uh, talking to Michael is from Perfect.
0: We're going to take another break and come back with our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us present Hang Loose.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
2: We're coming right back. And we're back for the final segment with Michael Backus. Uh Michael, just fascinating stuff, man. Uh, you know, this is really, really good information. I'm just uh Wondering, we still have a few minutes left to talk. What final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with?
3: Well, if you want to check out the work we're doing at Perfect, Um, uh, you can check us out on Instagram at blendsbyperfect or at our website, uh, perfect-blends.com. And, um, you know, the great thing about blending cannabis is when I used to breed cannabis, it, it takes, you know, three or four years to stabilize a plant. And we can make a new blend in a month. And so we're constantly testing new blends. We just introduced one called Sex Pop, which is a really, really interesting blend because it's intended to be used with intimacy between people. But what's really great about it is we wanted intimacy with agency. The idea that you'd be high, but you'd be very lucid. Your memory wouldn't be impaired. And so you could remember the experience and we think that's a big breakthrough for us as a company because um, it's our first product that's got a, a CBD seatbelt so that you don't have a lot of the side effects that can be associated with THC. And um, yeah, we're really proud of it.
2: Um, so if people are going to California, how can they how can they access your product? I'll just go to our website.
3: Um, and our website—you can order right on our website. And we, that uh, the website covers most of California. Uh, we have a partner in Grass Door that fulfilled the delivery for us. And what's great is you get it delivered cold,
2: which is really nice. Oh, I see. And, so, uh, so yeah. do you actually get it delivered to your to wherever you're at. Yeah. Oh wow! Wow, that's great. Very impressive. That's yeah,
3: great. Yeah, it really works. We really like direct to consumer because we can control the message to make sure that people really understand what we're up to.
2: Can people access your product in stores as well in California? Or yeah, all- sure,
3: mm-hmm. sure. Matter of fact, my, my former dispensary in Los Angeles, of course, Cornerstone carries it. And uh, yeah, we've got coverage through most of the state. So pretty pleased that.
2: Excellent, excellent. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Uh, I think this show was perfect.
3: <laughs> Fantastic, uh, Vivian. Thanks for having me
2: on. You bet. My pleasure, man. That concludes this installment of Hempresent on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice to so find your voice, speak up for justice, because resistance is fertile. The Hempresent introduction music is Joanne Rand, Seven Mile Beach, and the outro music is Stickerbush, Take Back the Plant. See you next week, folks. Stay strong. Marijuana!